And if we were able to look at a snapshot of God and see his entire character at once, that would not be a very big God. It takes the whole lifetime of getting to know him. And even still, we're never able to cover the complete picture of who God is until eternity. And so it takes both Testaments to tell the complete story of our amazing God, whose character is just so full and rich. We'll be talking about this and much more today. Welcome to A Writer's Day Podcast. Hello, my name is Ruth Douthit, and I'm an award-winning author of books for middle grade readers and women's fiction, and I welcome you to this podcast. I created this podcast as a way to connect with my listeners and my readers about books, and in this episode, I'm going to be looking at a rather fascinating book about God's Word. So welcome. I'm also the current president of Christian Writers of the West, the Arizona chapter of American Christian Fiction Writers, ACFW. And the good news is ACFW will be having their conference this September via Zoom. So visit their website today to learn more information and to register for this conference. I'm super excited about that and hope to see you there. She is a children's education director and writer of faith resources for children and adults. Her name is Melinda Fugate, and she's an author of a very unique book called The Other Three Sixteens. She took on this task of studying God's Word in a new way, and I think you'll be inspired. So welcome to today's episode as we look deeper into The Other Three Sixteens in Scripture. So you know the drill. Grab your favorite beverage, a comfortable chair, kick back and relax as we listen to author Melinda Fugate talk about her book, The Other Three Sixteens. Well, welcome Melinda to my podcast. And I'm super excited to have you on because this is such a unique book and I'm anxious for you to tell my listeners about it. Um, And so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first? And then we'll go into discussing your unique book. Sounds great. Um, My name is Melinda, and I live in Los Angeles with my little dog. We live by the beach. And I'm a children's ministry director, actually. So I get the fun joy of teaching kids about Jesus and lots of crafts and games and all that good stuff. And it's good to be able to serve God vocationally. Wonderful. How did you get into writing a book? I think I have always been a writer since childhood, um, and honestly, it sounds cliche, but the honest truth is God led me to this place. Um, I'm a person who likes to learn, and when I learn something, I just get so excited I have to share it, and it seemed like writing a book was the best way to share it. So I previously have written things for kids' ministry since it's just a natural extension of my job, but this is the first time I've written a book for adults. Now, tell us a little bit about this very unique book. All right, the other 316s, it's been quite a journey. Um, It started with John 316, it's a familiar scripture to all of us. And um, knowing that God's love is so like full in the scripture, we teach it to the kids, we learn it ourselves. And as I was studying myself, every time I'd run across another 316 in another book of the Bible, it would just kind of jump off the page just because of the repetition of learning John 316. And so I was curious if it had anything there if there's anything to it 
Um, there's no magic code to the numbers by any means. I don't want to cause any confusion with that. Um, it was just something that caught my attention. And the other 316s is a journey through all those books of the Bible, all the 316s, to see where God's love is found. So it's pretty exciting. It surprised me a little bit that it worked out, but there was a lot to be found. That is so neat. And I, I must admit, sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I see 316 in another book other than John, and I read it and I wonder, oh, you know, this does kind of connect. So that's fascinating. How can a lay person, someone who maybe doesn't really study the scriptures, um, learn more about the scriptures from reading your book? I think that's actually something that was really heavy on my heart to make this accessible to a lay person. I've never been to seminary, but I do have a thirst for God's word. And sometimes it's easy to get bogged down in all the academic stuff and then completely lose track of what we're studying. And the other 316s is designed for anybody to be able to pick it up and understand it. There's not a lot of big, heavy vocabulary. There are not a lot of theological terms that you would have to look up. It's literally just taking a cross section of the Bible, seeing what's in there, and then where God's love is in all of that. Now, I'm an author, but I'm also a teacher and uh, of the Bible, and I've written several Bible studies and context is really important. So that's good that you you make sure it's in proper context, but you're not really like doing theology, right? Absolutely. Context is so important. And if you just pulled these 316 verses out without context, it would make no sense anyway. Um, and it's very important, again, that the 316 is not looked at as some magic formula because it's not, and that it isn't cherry-picked without context because the context is what gives it its meaning. Exactly. So if you're just going to pull out all the 316 verses of the Bible without context, you're right. It's going to be confusing and strange. And that's what we're, that's not what we're talking about. John 316 is unique. It has its own context in the gospels. And it doesn't mean that uh, 316 and Proverbs or something is going to be equal. It's just a unique way to read the scriptures. Correct? Correct. Um, there was a computer scientist some years back who decided that the 316s would be a good sample. So he was very scientific in his approach. So using the 316s as a sample size to look at the Bible scientifically. So a little bit, there's the similarities there. There you go. Yeah. Now, what was the most surprising thing you learned from writing this book? I think the ultimate surprise was when I began and I started with Genesis 3.16, which is all about um, after the fall. And I thought for sure that this was a horrible idea and this was not going to work. But God revealed his love even in that scripture that was very difficult about the discipline of Adam and Eve. And discovering God's love in the dark places, in the hard places, was more meaningful than the easy flowery verses that we know and love so well on our coffee cups and our t-shirts. Mm -hmm. um, but finding God's love in the challenges was the most surprising and the most rewarding. Yes. I mean, when you read 316 in Genesis, it's sort of, I mean, the whole book of Genesis, but it sort of does foreshadow the coming of Christ and the need for Christ to die for us. Absolutely. And it also highlights how God's love is found when we do something wrong, that he doesn't just leave us to flounder in our mistakes, but he helps us grow and he teaches us and he sticks with us. Um, Adam and Eve had to leave the Garden of Eden, but God never left mm -hmm. Adam and Eve and he's never going to leave us either. Yeah. And he provided a way 
And yes. that, is, that way is Jesus. So it does connect to John 3.16. I also found that first John 3.16 connects to it as well. I remember when I taught First yes. John, the book of First John, I was really surprised how First John 3.16 also makes that connection too. And I know that when John sat down to pen his letters, he had no idea that mm-hmm. we would divide things up into numbers. But it did work out rather well that First John three sixteen also talks about the love of laying down our life for our friends. And exactly. What Christ did was the ultimate act of love. So yeah, John was pretty consistent. It is. It just it's a fascinating way to connect, and it just shows when I when I teach the Bible, I always tell my students. It's a huge tapestry that tells a story. So if you pull out just one thread of a tapestry, you're not going to get much out of it. But when you put all the threads together, you get a beautiful story. And that's how the Bible is. So you can't just read one verse by itself. You start to find that they intertwine and they connect to tell a beautiful story of redemption. Absolutely. And I also think that it is just a testament to how amazing the Bible is as a book, because yes, we have all of these human authors that you know came together to create the book we now have. But then we have God who, you know, first Timothy 3.16 talks about how all scripture is God breathed. Mm-hmm. And we have this in our hands, physical evidence of how sovereign and how active and how real and tangible that our God is. And that can be mind blowing the more we think about it. So true. Now today, it's pretty crazy atmosphere in the world right now. A lot going on. And it does seem like a lot of young people, uh, once they reach young adulthood, they tend to turn away from their faith, the, the faith of their youth. You know, they may have done Awana and Sunday school. And then when they get to college, they say, you know, I don't believe anymore. Um, and a lot of it, when you talk to them, happens to be with the evil in the world. They say, if God is good, then how come there's evil? So how do we reconcile the times when God doesn't seem so loving, even though there are so many verses like John 3.16 that tell us differently? I think it's really easy for us to get tunnel vision when life is hard and when things look dark. And we start looking at the darkness and turning our eyes away from the light. It's still there, but we're not looking at it. And God is sovereign, but we are so limited with our vision here on earth that we can't always see his big picture plan. We don't always have the gift of seeing God's huge perspective and vision. And I think that when we lose sight of that, we are mistaken if we're doubting that God is good or that God is loving because we're looking only at ourselves and only at our limitations. And the scriptures are our lifeline. Those are the things to give us the vision when we can't see from our perspective. And if we're throwing that away just because we say, well, I don't see it, so it must not be there, that would be a heartbreakingly foolish thing for us to do. So, I mean, I don't have all of the big answers. If I did, I think that I would have written a very different book. Um, But I do think through the experience of learning through the 316s of stories like Job and stories like Israel during their dark rebellious times, we can still see that God is present, that he never, ever leaves us, that he remains in control and with a plan that his timing does ultimately work out for our good and for his glory. And sometimes it's a battle to trust that, but he is trustworthy. That's so true. It can be difficult. Um, I once talked with a young man. I, I work at a university and uh, they have a chapel there and I was in there praying and he came in and told me that he was praying because he was very distraught. It had been a difficult semester for him 
but he was looking forward to the summer because he was going on a mission trip. So we talked a little bit about how he hadn't really read the Bible in a while. And I told him, you know, that's your lifeline. That's what's so important about, you know, staying connected with God because we can only see the, to the horizon, but he sees the whole battle plan. He sees everything. And ironically, um, or in, incidentally, he was heading towards San Diego for a mission trip. And I said, when you get there, please see if you can tour the USS Midway. And he said, yes, we, we just got our tickets. We're on our weekend for a fun trip. We're going to tour the Midway. And I said, great, because that's where Desert Storm was plotted and, and planned and run was from the USS Midway. And I said, when you go into the map room, you'll see all the maps of the war on the wall. And you'll see how the generals on that aircraft carrier could see where all the enemy were so they could guide the troops and they could guide the planes in the air where not to go and where to go. And that's kind of how it is. We have to stay in God's word. We have to commune with God because he's our headquarters. He sees everything. And when we stop talking to him, then we find ourselves isolated and alone. And that's when the enemy can get a hold of us. So, And, and he understood. He, he said, that that's a great idea. So I hope Jeremiah, I hope if you're listening, you did go to San Diego and tour the USS Midway. <laughs> and I think that really points out how we like big maps and plans and billboards, but God often takes us one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And he gives us, you know, Psalm 119 says that his word is the lamp for our feet and the light to our path and literally illuminating us a step at a time, which in our humanity is it's something I struggle with. Absolutely. I'm very impatient and think, Oh Lord, just give me the big old plan. And I'm, I'm with you. I'll do the thing. Um, but he seems to be a God who likes us to depend on him and to trust him and take us step by step. That, and he's been right and trustworthy all this time. So it's a plan that works. Right. I mean, if he did come down and show us the whole plan for our lives, I doubt any of us would want to do it. We'd say, never mind. <laughs> No thanks. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. I'll just stay here. But you're right. We have to trust. And, and Paul spoke about that in Colossians 3. You know, we have to look above, not on the things of the earth. Keep our yes. eyes above. So some people say the God of the Old Testament is, you know, was mean and full of wrath and cruel. But the God of the New Testament is love and grace. Yet the Bible clearly says that God does not change. So what did you learn about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament? I wish I could say that in the 316's journey that I uncovered all of the resolution and how I could reconcile the God of the Old Testament that um, seemed very vengeful and the unfairness of taking over lands, things like that. And I'm still working on that. It's a lifelong learning process. But I did note that the grace and the love it's in both testaments Mm -hmm. god uses his people for his purposes he provides for his people the israelites were given so much grace we associate grace with the cross as we should but we sometimes overlook how much grace was given to the ancient israelites despite their rebellion there were still second chances and even after the exile they were brought home and cared for and the covenant has been kept and the individual love that was given when we look at Moses the friendship between God and Moses is something that is just so intimate and we would all love to be on such familiar terms I think with the almighty God and thanks to what Christ did on the cross like we get that 
the only thing that's keeping us, I think, from being as close as Moses was is our own stubbornness or distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, the, if we have the willingness, he is there and he is willing to be close with us as he was with Moses. And we see even through, I think one of the stories that stuck out to me a lot was in Judges 3.16, because at first I read it and thought, this is a wild tale. It's a judge who is left-handed and he sneaks into an opposing king and he says, I have a secret message for you. And then he stabs him and kills him and runs away and escapes, but it allows the Israelites to have some freedom. And there, my initial thought was, well, where's the love in this? But we see how God used the fact that this judge was left-handed to have the element of surprise, allowing him to fulfill his mission and allowing the Israelites to have some freedom from the enemy. And for God to take the time to create us a certain way from birth so that we can be used for his glory and have the honor and privilege of fulfilling his purposes. Like that's also love and care that's found in the old Testament. And I could keep going. Each chapter in the book does point out God's love. It's just as prominent in the old Testament as it is in the new. Oh, absolutely. I agree. I mean, when you look at how merciful he was for David, when David sinned yes. with Bathsheba, right? And God is um, wrathful in the New Testament in that he took his son's life. You know, Jesus died a brutal death. And that, you know, is shocking because he was a completely innocent man. So you can see from studying the Old and New Testament, God doesn't change. It's just that, yeah, it's just that he did away with all the sacrificial systems when his son died for us and it became the perfect sacrifice. So, but you're right, the covenant, the covenant remains. And if we were able to look at a snapshot of God and see his entire character at once, that would not be a very big God. It takes the whole lifetime of getting to know him. And even still, we're never able to cover the complete picture of who God is until eternity. And so it takes both testaments to tell the complete story of our amazing God, whose character is just so full and rich. Oh, good point. Good point. So... Older Christians, you know, like myself, I've been a Christian since I was seven and I'm 53 now. So I've heard all these Bible stories all their lives. So what do extremely familiar Sunday school stories have to teach us, those of us who have heard them over and over again? Well, even though God's word never changes, we are constantly growing. And there is often a time when we go back and revisit something that we thought we had gleaned everything from, but we find something new and fresh because God's word, as Hebrews said, is alive and active. And the things that we can take in, again, like we can't take in God's character all at once. We can't take in the word of God all at once. And it takes us, I think, a couple times of going back and reading something to fully get the meaning. And I mean, it's just such a gift that God gives us something that we never tire of, a book that we can read from cover to cover and still find something new and fresh. And I struggle sometimes with the familiarity and especially around the holidays, the same stories you read over and over. It's really easy to say, yes, I know what happens and just skim through it. But there always seems to be a new perspective, a character that was never considered before or a way it relates to something that happened in my life. And God says, hey, I want to show you something that you may not have noticed and how it reaches a tender point in my heart at that point in time. So I, the only explanation for it is the supernatural. God is so good that he gives us this gift and 
there are so many layers to his word that uncovering it all at once would be impossible. That's true. That is well put. I mean, you can go back and reread these stories from your youth, but as your life, you go through the different developmental stages and your worldview changes, you go back and reread them and it's with fresh eyes, a new perspective, and God speaks to you in a different way. You know, he speaks to me differently at age 53 than he did when I was 33 and when I was 23, you know. <laughs> so you're right. You keep going back to these stories for replenishment. Yeah. And I think there are also the hard things that take us a little time to unwrap and to process. Um, the stories we learn, you know, like Noah's Ark, we learn that as children and we think, oh, look at this floating zoo and what an adventure that Noah went on with all these animals. But he was faced with destruction of the world and there's a lot to grapple with of mm -hmm. the world being destroyed and the many people who died and just and what it must have been like for Noah to go through that experience and I believe I read it took a hundred years to build the ark that's not something that we ever really talked about in mm -hmm. our children's stories but that is a long time especially a long time with no rain and you're building a boat and right? so there exactly. are just so many things yeah that we can't possibly uncover during the first, second, and third readings, and we aren't prepared to deal with the difficult things, especially as young believers, so mm -hmm. we need the maturity and the time with God in order to completely comprehend it. That's true, and you're right. I have spoken to adults, you know, have been Christians since they were very young, and when they found out for the first time, at like age 50 or 60, that it took Noah 100 years, they were astounded. They said, I know, I never knew that. <laughs> so you're right. There's always something new to learn every time you're in God's word. So how can this book, your book, the other three sixteenths, be applied to our daily lives? As fun as it is to learn new facts and figures and replenish our memories of the story, what it comes down to is that God loves us, and it's really easy, easy for us to say, like, oh, God thinks fondly of us, or he likes us a lot, but the other 316s really teaches us that love is an active, at-work, tangible thing that God is doing in our lives, that he's taking care of us, that he's growing us. I mean, every single 316 unwraps a new facet of what love looks like, and we have simplified it on Valentine's Day cards and just in use of the phrase. And I think we forget how powerful and multifaceted love is. It's almost like holding up a cut gemstone to the light and turning it and seeing how the light hits it. And it just creates so many different sparkles that you can only see as you look at it at different angles. And once we recognize what it means that God loves us, that in itself is moving and transformative, and it deepens our relationship with Him. It helps us not to have fear because we can trust Him. It helps us to love Him back because we want to return this great gift that we're given and be a blessing to God the way He's blessed us. And yes, it's, you know, this between God and us, but then it overflows into how we love others. Because as First John 3.16, as we talked about, says, you know, this is what love is. And not only says what Christ did for us, but how we can love others. Mm -hmm. And when we start modeling our love for others after how Christ loves us, that transforms all of our relationships and our worldview. So going through the 3.16s sounded like a fun, interesting project, but I did not realize going into it how life-changing it was. But it really does affect everyday life and every aspect of it. Oh, that's wonderful. 
And you're so right. The more you dive into God's word, you cannot walk away unchanged. It will, if you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it will change your outlook on your life. Great. Great. I love that. So what projects are you working on now that you finished this book? Well, the fun thing that I'm learning is that it's it's never finished. Now is the whole time for promoting and spreading the word because if nobody knows that this book exists, then nobody reads it and that would be sad. So I'm learning a lot about um, the publishing process post-release day, which has been very much a learning curve. Um, I am working with our church, dealing with all of the changes that we've had with the pandemic mm-hmm. and church being closed and adapting virtually. And so that's taken up a lot of my time. However, um, God has given me some motivation and inspiration for a new project. Uh, it's still developing, so I hesitate to jump right in and be all here, all the details. But um, it is looking at character studies of minor characters in the Bible. Um, so again, looking at things that we've overlooked in our familiarity and discovering some fresh new perspectives. Oh, that sounds neat. I love that. Well, I am just so honored that you could spend time with me today on my podcast discussing this unique book, The Other 316s. And I wish you nothing but the best of success. And we'll have you on for your other project, too, when that's done. And uh, yeah, keep in touch. Let me know how it goes. And where can my listeners find this book? Well, thank you so much for this chat. I absolutely love talking about God's love, and it's been a blessing chatting with you. Um, To find the book, it's, of course, on Amazon, um, also Barnes & Noble and ChristianBook.com. And there is a wonderful site. If um, I know a lot of us are trying to support smaller local businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, Bookshop.org supports independent local bookstores, and it is also on there. Wonderful. Great. Well, make sure you run out and get a copy of this unique book that will help you further study uh, God's word in a different way from uh, coming to it from a different perspective, but yet walking away transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much. Thank you. What a treat that was to talk to author Melinda Fugate about her new book, The Other 316s. It's fascinating, isn't it? How God speaks to us in scripture. I hope that you've been encouraged and inspired to get back into God's Word and ask Him to speak to you in new and exciting ways. Thank you for joining me on this episode. And until next time, keep writing, keep going forward on your writing journey. And God bless.